Hello and welcome to the Movie Podcast. My name is Anthony. Thank you all for joining us for today's episode. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Daniel and Shay. How are you guys? Good, man. Oh, sorry. I didn't uh, apologize. (laughs) I was ready to go. I was just like, I'm good. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I'm doing great, too. I'm having uh, – my voice is a little gone right now, I won't lie, so I apologize if I don't sound like Shay. I promise you it's not an imposter. Uh, It's not COVID, either. Uh, Oh, it's also not COVID, yes. You've got to make that clear as well. Uh, How are you doing, though, Anthony? I'm doing well. I had a great week. Um, Yeah, it was a a fun, eventful week. Most of it was spent inside, so – uh, yeah, but I cashed up on some some books and I watched tons of movies. So I can't wait to um, when we hit that. Uh, what were we watching segment of our show? I yeah, have yeah. like I think I watched like a thousand movies compared to your. Oh, list. Well, we, we but, removed um, that segment yeah, from our show though. What? Yeah, we saw how many you added this week, and we're like, no, we can't be letting him talk this much. I know it's like Anthony doesn't watch movies. How dare he watch movies? Right? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but it's been a beautiful week, honestly. Like I've I, I've been outside a lot this week, just like in the fresh air and the sun. So I didn't get to watch too much this week, but hopefully I correct that this week because I yeah. just miss watching anything really. Yeah, no, exactly. Same here. <laughs> oh cool. man! As always, you can catch a new episode of the Movie Podcast every Monday across all your favorite podcast services. If you want to be part of the show and give us your comments, suggestions, and corrections, head over to thistimewith.com slash talk. Also, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, be- but before we get into the news, let's talk about some announcements. Um, we have our commentary tracks available in our archive. So Game Night, Sicario, Spider-Man, all available for you to listen and enjoy. And you can play it, play those movies and listen to us talk about them. We also have episodes on Black Lives Matter, Zack Snyder's Justice Justice League Snyder Cut coming to HBO in 2021, as well as our interview with Kevin Lima, director of the Goofy movie Tarzan and Enchanted and much, much more. And we also just came out with probably my favorite episode, The Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast. Uh, came out J- uh, July 1st, and it was in collaboration with Nate from Geekcentric and Matt from the Untitled Movie Podcast. I actually had so much fun talking about why this game was so fantastic. Um, I'll kind of give it to you guys. What, how did you feel doing The Last of Us spoiler cast? Um, you know, it was a... It was something that we've been wanting to do for a really long time, you know, from even like last year and the beginning of this year. Um, I know we've been talking about it like after this game comes out. I know we're a movie podcast, but we still want to talk about, you know, how amazingly cinematic and beautifully written uh, The Last of Us Part Two will be. So I I couldn't be happier to do it with Nate and with Matt. You know, they they love the game as much as we did. And we had a a really long conversation. It's about two hours, but it does not. It's not a boring one. It's definitely really engaging, if I do say so myself. So definitely, if you're interested in The Last of Us Part Two at all, if you've beaten the game, if you just want to hear our voices talk about something we love and are passionate about, I definitely recommend checking out that episode. Like Anthony said, it's probably one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded. Um, And I can't thank Matt and Nate enough for joining us um, last week to record it because it was such a great time. Definitely listen to it. Yeah, no, exactly the same as you guys. I, uh, in a year right now where movies really haven't been 
I guess making the impression for us. We we've had to turn to video games, especially to to The Last of Us Part Two. And man, this is this is a movie on a on a different level. So if you have any interest in film at all, I'd say this is still something that you should listen to. And maybe if you don't want to go play it, that's fine. But try to find some way where you can watch a stream of it. Hopefully not from a a very like loud and annoying streamer. If you can find like a version of it where it's just like you just know, the game audio, just the game just audio kind of happening. Yeah, yeah I, I'd recommend that because you don't want to take away it, away from that experience. So, um, great episode, absolutely loved it. And I think that if uh, we didn't uh, pay attention to the time, we would have gone for like four or five hours talking about that game. Oh, easily. Um, and also, everything that we said about these announcements, they're in our show notes. So if you're listening to us, wherever you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, where, what have you, on the moon, uh, check your show notes. We're going to have all the links to these episodes there um, or head to the moviepodcast.ca to find it on your preferred podcast uh, provider. But everything we talk about today, news included, all within our show notes. So there's a lot of great information there. Also, information on how to follow us on different uh, social media platforms if you want to. So, definitely check that out. Thank you, Dan. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's head into the news. I don't know. Okay. I was. Okay. I don't know. I think. I couldn't tell. I, I, like on my end, it sounded like Anthony and I were on beat, and then Shay came in a bit later. But yeah. also, it just could be how the recording is. So we'll see. We'll have to see it on the. We'll see it on the replay later on. We'll try and get an instant replay. This time, for you. this time, I did purposely delay myself because I was like, "Oh, okay." Usually, I feel like we're all so sporadic. Maybe right. if I wait a second more. I mean, yeah. I haven't figured out the the mathematics to do this yet, so. I'll, when I get the results just, back from the lab, I'll let you know. We should just record it, and then Daniel just splice it all together, and we'll just put it in. How about that? I mean, we, we've been saying that for quite some time now. We've been saying that since March, you know? Yeah. We're going to start off with some sad news. This is coming from Craig Evans of Deadline. Carl Reiner dies, pioneering TV comedy writer, film director, father of Rob Reiner, was 98. So Carl Reiner, the comedian, writer, director, actor whose contributions to the development of television comedy are rivaled by a few others, died Monday night of natural causes at his home in Beverly Hills. He was 98. Just three days before his passing, Reiner, the father of actor and director Rob Reiner, tweeted that now seems his public goodbye. Nothing pleases me more than knowing that I have lived the best life possible by having met and marrying the gifted Estelle, Stella Labost, who partnered with me in bringing Rob, Annie, and Lucas Reiner into this needy and evolving world. Reiner was among the pioneering comedic minds, along with Mel Brooks, Neil Simon, Woody Allen, Larry Gilbart, among others, who in the 1950s co-wrote and appeared on the Sid Caesars programs, Caesars Hour, and Your Show of Shows, setting the template for sketch comedy that endures today in Saturday Night Live and late night talk show humor. Reiner created and produced and wrote The Dick Van Dyke Show, which won five of the nine Emmy Awards that Reiner would gather over his career. This is such sad news. Um, I've always known Carl Reiner as, you know, Saul from um, Oceans, Ele- Oceans 11 and 12 and so on. And that was my introduction. And I didn't know about his son, 
who I knew of, but like didn't understand or didn't put the the connection between the two that, you know, they, that was his son, the director, Rob Reiner. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like pretty sad. He did live a long life, 98. That's amazing lifespan. Um, but yeah, super sad. How do you guys feel about Carl's death? I think I was the same as you where, um, you know, my introduction to him was pretty much oceans. And then, uh, I don't know why I never made that connection between Rob Reiner and Carl Reiner. Uh, maybe I just didn't do the research myself. I know that he was also in, um, in, in the, uh, in the latter Toy Story films. Uh, he played a character named Carl Reiner Soros. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he clearly had a thing for comedy and Rob Reiner is, is a phenomenal director and actor too. So you can tell, like, you can tell they work off each other pretty well as so. It's definitely a sad loss, but my God, he lived till 98. And, and I think just a couple of days before he passed, like he posted a picture of him wearing like a black lives matter t-shirt too. So he was a, he was an all around good guy. Like you could just, you could tell. Yeah. He's very vocal about, you know, politics and things like that as well too. And just super funny guy. Like by the time we all kind of saw him in oceans, like he was already a legend at that point, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. after like creating like, the Dick Van Dyke show, which back then, like we have to think about TV shows. It's like TV's only had like two or three channels. Maybe it's like, you're either watching ABC, CBS or like NBC at that point. So TV was such a monumental kind of window into the entertainment world. So everybody who grew up in that generation knew who he was and for him to live such an amazing uh, life, and to have his family and then obviously give us Rob Reiner as well. Who's directed some of my favorite movies. Um, what a life uh, to leave behind. And it's definitely sad, but he has a legacy that's going to live on for a really long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's move on to um, our second news story. Academy invites 819 to membership. And this is coming from the Academy Awards press release. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science is extending invitations to join the organization to 819 artists and executives who have distinguished themselves by their contributions to theatrical motion pictures. The 2020 class is 45% women, 36% underrepresented ethnic slash racial communities, and 49% international from 68 countries. There are 75 Oscar nominees, including 15 winners and 15 recipients of scientific and technical awards. Those who accept the invitation will be the only additions to the Academy membership in 2020. The 2020 list includes a diverse group of people from all sectors of the industry, from acting to publicity to costume design. Invited actors include Anna de Armas, Brian Tyree Henry, Aquafina. Matthew Sherry, Zendenia, Florence Pugh, Lakeith Stanfield, Beanie Fettelstein, directors such as Lulu Wan, Alma Harrell, Ari Aster, Terrence Davies, and Matthew Vaughn are also on the list. So this is some good news that, again, Academy is opening it, opening their membership up and making it much more diverse than it was at least 10 years ago. Um what what do you guys think of these these changes in terms of how the classes were represented in this year's picks? Um, it's it's great seeing this list. There's a lot of names on here that I love. Obviously, there's 819 
new additions. So I didn't go through the full, full list, but you know, of these names that we kind of have here, um, it makes sense seeing them. Like when you think of actors and uh, just directors who are kind of really at the forefront of culture today, like it makes sense to see these people. Um, when I see Lulu Wen and Elma Harrell, I'm just like, well, it, it's great that they're in this membership, but it's like, where was their nominations last year for the farewell and honey boy? Like mm-hmm. it's uh, like, and I'm hoping that they get to be like, part of the change now that we're seeing the, the bigger change we're seeing overall at the Academy where I know that their films weren't recognized, but now they can help recognize films that should have been. And um, the more people you add, the better the Academy is still a very large and predominantly old white, uh, old white person kind of club, but these changes are what we need to really start making the Oscars matter. Mm-hmm giving it more of a purpose. Yeah. Purpose and just a better reflection of, I think culture and society in the year that that they place in. Right. I think it's upsetting that it took this long. Like we've been, we've been talking about this for way too long. I mean, Oh my goodness. Sorry about that. Oh, Uh, everything. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, everything that um, the the people that we're seeing on this list, that it's, it's great. Like these are the people that we want to see representing because they have, bolder ideas they have at least a a wider palette and an op- a more open mind so this is this is good yeah i was looking at the the names they're all young actors or even like new actors to films anna de armas uh, brian tyree henry aquafina these are people who they don't have a huge list of movies under their belt they're not oscar or nominated yet um but it's good to see that they're allowing this diversity of people into their into this old white type of yeah you know, membership or, or group to kind of yeah. rejuvenate and rejuvenate re- rejuvenate re- rejuvenate or reignite <laughs> you know, the, the awards because let's all be honest the awards are boring and they are also very uh, what's the word what's the word. They're very foreshadowing. If you watch a movie that you know comes out in September, you know those oh. movies are always. Oh, it's like be those Oscar bait movies, right? Oh, it's Oscar a period piece. Movies. It's it's yeah. this. It's yeah, and like when you, but those names that you said, you know, Anna Darmas, Brian Tyree Henry, Aquafina, like they're all in demand actors. Like when you mm-hmm. see their filmography, yeah, they don't have a huge list of movies they've been in yet. But when you look at the movies they have coming out, you're just like, holy shit, they're in like four movies this year or five movies next year. They're just very in-demand actors. And it's great seeing that because they're so deserving of it. And I I love these actors. So I just want to see them do more. Yeah. Let's move on to some more news. We have a new video game series coming to the small screen or the big screen. I don't know how it works. But... Fallout series from Westworld creators in the works at Amazon. And this is coming from Will Thorne of Variety. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy have set their sights on creating another expansive sci-fi series. The Westworld duo are developing a show at Amazon based on the Fallout video game franchise. Their Kilter Films banner is producing the project, which has a series commitment penalty attached meaning it would go directly to the series if Amazon execs are on board with the scripts. 
The Fallout series, which began in 1997 with the original game, is set in a world where the future, envisioned by Americans in the late 1940s, explodes upon itself through a nuclear war in 2077. With their Amazon project, Nolan and Joy will be looking to bring the harshness of the wasteland set against the previous generation's utopia idea of a better world through nuclear energy to the small screen. The project will look to retain the game's harsh tones, which making sure it is still sprinkled with moments of ironic humor and B-movie nuclear fantasies, which players of the epic franchise know and love. Fallout is one of the greatest games game series of all time. Each chapter of this is insanely imaginative story has cost us countless hours we could have spent with family and friends. So we're incredibly excited to partner with Todd Howard and the rest of the brilliant lunatics at Bethesda to bring this massive, subversive, darkly funny universe to life with Amazon Studios, said Joy and Nolan in a joint statement. So what do you guys think of Fallout coming to, I guess, the small screen, to the TV, to the series of Amazon? Hmm. No, I'm. Uh, I like Fallout. Uh, I haven't really cared too much about the series in recent years, just because uh, there's been a lot of hiccups and uh, other kind of controversies surrounding, you know, Fallout seventy six and kind of Fallout four. Uh, but I, I played the hell out of Fallout three, and it's one of those I think game series that is 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 prime for um, a series. And I, I think you could. There's a lot of fun stories you could tell in there that would kind of fit within the worlds. The thing is, with it being kind of like a nuclear wasteland with that kind of '50s feeling to it. Uh, oh, serious tr- tr- thinking. I'm talking to her. Everything's um, happening today. In our- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of stories you could tell there, and um, I, I'm curious to see how they're going to make it like feel like fallout other than like that kind of 50s nuclear war type deal because like fallout's very intrinsic on like your own experience and you kind of creating your own character and like traversing through your own wasteland so i'm curious if it's going to focus on one character or is it going to be on the settlements and a bunch of different people so um there's a lot of different approaches they could take with it but i know like you guys are big fans of westworld so i'm curious to see what they do with it yeah, uh, I I've never really gave uh, Fallout the chance. I guess not nothing against it. I just it never fell under my radar. I've definitely watched people play, and I think there's some uh, there's some definitely interesting stories to tell in that area. So when this show and if this show does come, so I guess we'll we'll just see. I I have nothing against it, and I just want to kind of I'm always down for new media. So let's let's see what mm-hmm. happens. Well, with all these new video game video game to TV series um, appearing, which we have like The Last of Us showing up on HBO, and then now we have Fallout on Amazon. Like what video game right now would you say would make probably a really good series, a TV series? Assassin's Creed. Hmm. Would be so dope as a TV series. You know, we have we have a great episode. That's another great episode you should check out. Uh, video games that we'd w- want to see as movies. Uh, we did that earlier this year in February. That's a phenomenal episode of the show you should check out. But I think Assassin's Creed would be like a perfect um, 
kind of adaptation for TV because I don't think you get enough of that world in a movie. In a show, you could really set up the worlds of like Abstergo and uh, kind of going into the the history of these characters and have these different um, timelines kind of merging. Like, so you have like the past and the present and you'll have enough time to really dive into that. You know, we spoke about Assassin's Creed before where, you know, you have a great cast in that movie. You have Michael Fassbender, you have uh, Marion Cotillard, you have Jeremy, uh, Jeff, Oh my God, Jeremy Irons in it. And they just, they just wasted it. And they're like, yeah, let's spend most of the time of this movie in the present where it's the most least interesting parts of the game. Let's spend it there where instead of spending it in the actual past, diving into the ancestors of these characters. So I think Assassin's Creed would be such a dope um, television series. Uh, now that they have a, par- a kind of a connection with Apple and, um, at Ubisoft through, you know, Mythic Quest. I'd love for them to partner with like a 10 episode series, not straightly adapting the games, but, you know, diving into another area of history and, you know, sure, tie it into the world of the games, but make it its own thing. And I think it'd be a really cool series. What about you guys? Any others that stick out to you? I would say for me, probably like Metal Gear, but make Metal Gear doesn't need to be a movie. It could because it's so big and so expanse that it, you can't fit all the information and the lore that comes with it in a two-hour film. And then you have to break it down. Let's say maybe there's three films or four films, right? But if you do it in a TV series, which are hour long, and you don't have to, and you don't have to make it a CG spectacle, you can tell a really like great story with the Metal sure. Gear characters and, you know, the history of those people, because a lot of it is, is story. It's not like um, huge explosions. It's a stealth based game. So you can make right. it more of a stealth based type of TV show. Definitely. Yeah, I would love to see a Metal Gear TV series. I mean, I'm getting the one that I've always wanted. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked with the last of us, but, uh, um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other games that I'd want to see. And, I, and I'm thinking like, it would be silly and funny to see something like Tony Hawk pro skater become like a, <laughs> become like a TV show because it could be so meta. It could be just so silly to have a show like that. where like, these are amazing skateboarders doing tricks that like no one can imagine. And they're grinding off of like school lunch tables, just organized in such a fashion. And, I don't know. Um, would that but, be an A24 uh, film or A24 series? <laughs> it would be an A24 series. It'd be like one of the first major comedy series uh, besides That's Randy. funny. Uh, well, they, they do have um, they have um, the documentary coming out this year, too, uh, on Pro Skater. So, like, maybe that will get, start gaining that interest for making a, some type of skating series. I mean, a skateboarding, sh- like like a show based around skateboarding would be dope. That's like prime a two four area for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, episode 46 of the movie podcast is where we talk about video games that we want to see as movies. So if you haven't checked it out yet, listen to it. Okay. Let's move on to some crazy news, uh, especially because it's such a, you know, world breaking record. Will Smith, Antoine Fuqua thriller emancipation lands at Apple. And this is coming from Dave McNeary of Variety. Apple has won the bidding for the thriller Emancipation starring Will Smith and directed by Antoine Fuqua. Warner Brothers, MGM, Lionsgate, and Universal 
also made offers on the property starting last week at the Cannes Virtual Market. CAA Media Finance, which arranged the financing for the film, represents U.S. rights at the market. Film Nation Entertainment represents international sales. Emancipation is written by William N. College and created on a runaway slave named Peter who escaped to the Union Army during the Civil War and outwitted bounty hunters over 10 days through the Louisiana swamps, making his scent, masking his scent with onions. Army photos taken of Peter showing the scars on his back from being whipped were published in 1863 and became known as the Scrooged Back photos, which became a means to illustrate the cruelty of slavery. Production is expected to launch in early 2021. So this movie sold for $120 million to Apple, which is absolutely crazy. This is the largest, um, the biggest um, festival movie ever to be sold at a festival. $120 million. That's crazy money. I don't know how much money goes to like Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua, but like that is like, that's a huge win for those two. And Apple is just like clearly has money to spend. (laughs) Yeah. Again, another huge win for Apple in this, in this category, right? Like they're just taking, they're purchasing very smartly. Um, You know, I was reading that um, they did, they had a connection because, uh, um, the, their production companies work together in the past with Jada on stuff. So like it makes sense that there's like, I guess a connection there, but you know, Apple was just kind of taking talent from a lot of different studios in the last couple of years that we've been talking about. And, you know, this is where those kind of partnerships and that network networking comes into play for them because now they kind of have people from Netflix and Sony and universal and Warner brothers joining them. And they'll be able to kind of, lean on those connections to reach out to people like Will Smith and get their content on their platform. And I think this is only good news for Apple, obviously in Apple TV plus um, because, you know, I want to see that service grow and um, it just kind of gives more weights to their catalog and to take them as a serious contender as a platform for TV shows and for movies. Yeah, this is a lot of money, and I usually I see uh, Antoine Fuqua partnering with Denzel. So this is um, this is a nice uh, little change here. I, have they worked before, Fuqua and Will Smith? I can't I can't remember personally, but um, yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm down for this. This is gonna be uh, this is gonna be cool. I mean, Will Smith again lately he's been making some odd choices in movies or really hasn't had a banger since I don't even know when. So I'm really hoping this is his comeuppance. Will Smith is a weird dude. I'm starting to realize like he's not the dude that I grew up with or like I had a, the perception of uh, growing up. He has an interesting life. And that's just like what I've recently, that's recently come out in the news with his wife and all that stuff. And we're not like a, tabloid but i feel like he's a weird dude that we don't see i don't know what you guys but that's kind of like my like little thing on will smith there's something about that guy you know like he's cool and all but there's something but like his just i don't know the weird dude yeah i think uh i i I think um like this 
stuff with Jaden too in the last couple of years. Like Jaden's like Jaden makes banger music now and stuff, but like there was that time where it just like Jaden would just be tweeting just weird ass shit. But mm-hmm. it's um yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, this is the first time Anton and we'll have worked together on anything. So um we'll probably only get this, I'm assuming either late next year or twenty twenty two, but uh we shall see. I so here's the thing. $120 million Apple spent on this um on this move on this movie. They're hoping this is one of the their academy contenders for, for sure. 2021. Um do you think they overpaid for this film? Yes. A hundred percent. This is nope. this is Apple throwing their money at this at this production, right? I think this is just them having this money to spare and being like, you know what, we want to be the platform they go to. I'm glad it went there. Like, I think it's great, but it's also like this is just them kind of sh- working their muscles now and flexing their muscles, being like, we have billions upon billions of dollars that we're making every month or every day let's throw some of that into content and let's they oh probably they probably overpaid way more than any other studio is willing to pay so they mm-hmm. they want it do you think it will hurt the industry in the long run when technology companies throw large amounts of money to films like this and I, the my reasoning behind this, I know it sounds weird. Like what? No, they, it's it can only help them, right? Well, the reason is Apple's source of revenue is coming from another stream, while studios their source of revenue is coming from you watching their movie. So right. Apple has a huge advantage in terms of shelling out money because their revenue is really coming from the technology they build. It's kind of like a cheat in a sense. Well, these, you know, Lionsgate or uh, Warner Brothers, their only source of revenue is movies we watch, which we can't even watch because these theaters are closed and yada, yada. So it's kind of like, does it hurt the industry in the long run when you're like, this is a huge, like, purchase of a movie? I, I I get what you're saying and I and I totally agree. It kind of reminds me of the housing market a little bit. It's like, oh, once one house goes for higher on a street, all the other houses are going to start going for higher. And then all of a sudden you're kind of priced out of even being a contender to buy it. And you know, that could definitely happen with movies. Um, like once movies start going higher and higher, because now all these technology companies are in it, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Apple, what have you, um, it's gonna become a time where the price of purchasing the rights and dis- distribution rights for movies is going to be so high that um, other smaller studios can't really compete. But my also thing though, is, is that when you look at all the major studios right now, all of them are also owned by larger conglomerates that are not in just movies. You look at Warner brothers is owned by AT&T. You have Sony uh, Columbia pictures, what have you is owned by Sony that has their own stream of revenue. Universal is owned by NBC, so like all the other major studios also have their kind of parent companies as well. But I think Apple is the most recognizable one because their branding is kind of consistent throughout all of their products. And now Apple TV, it's all kind of under that umbrella. So they're treating it as it's all under their one company instead of having like parent companies in the background. But um, 
yeah, I think I think it's going to come a time, like you said, Anthony, that these movies, the price for these distribution rights are only going to start going higher and higher. Uh, what about you, Shay? What do you think? Yeah, I think you guys pretty much nailed it there. Like, it's it's exactly like the housing market where um, before you'd see like, oh my god, the bid for this movie was thirty to fifty million. Now you're seeing these like ridiculous, ridiculous numbers, and I think Apple paid a lot of money for for a project that you know isn't going to be a surefire hit as as you know i guess uneven antoine fuqua's career has been as well along with lately how will smith's been it's a pretty big gamble but i mean i guess they see something here that we don't fully see so let's hope because i mean at the end of the day apple's been doing really well with their uh, with their purchasing and i mean i guess we'll see when greyhound comes out in a few days um how good of a purchase that was <laughs> but but let's see let's see at this point um they've got the money and they're not taking a loss so yeah yeah and i think they i think they just see it as you know yeah they have regardless of how good greyhound is uh next week it comes out is it oh july 10th it comes out this week uh, it's coming out regardless how good it is they just see it as hey we have uh a, uh, a Tom Hanks movie on our platform. Yeah, they won't even name it. They'll just say, "Yeah, Tom, we have a Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, Watch it, Tom Hanks movie." Okay, even though it's not great. We'll see, dude. What if it's the movie of the year? No, man. Then the trailer should have like whoever cut the trailer should be shot. Okay, interesting. That trailer okay. was awful. Okay, let's take a let's move on to our last order of business. Guess what, guys? your Walmart is turning into a drive-in movie theater. So Walmart to turn in parking lots into makeshift drive-in movie theaters. This is this summer. This is coming from Andrew Livczewski of Gizmodo. As movie theaters struggle to reopen and attract patrons again, even while the COVID-19 pandemic rages on, we'll be facing yet another obstacle to financial recovery this summer as Walmart has revealed plans to turn its parking lots into drive-in movie theaters starting in August. It doesn't matter how much disinfectant is sprayed into a theater or how many seats are removed to ensure social distancing. The thought of sitting in an enclosed room full of people for two hours, many of whom are eager to ditch their mandatory masks, isn't exactly appealing. As a result, drive-in theaters are enjoying a surprising renaissance, allowing fans to enjoy the movie-going experience with others while continuing to quarantine themselves in their vehicles. The problem is that movie theaters now far outnumber drive-ins, and those that are still standing and operating are already sold out for months as people are desperately desperate to get out and do anything social right now. Building a new drive-in is expensive and they need lots of land. This isn't often easy to come by in dense suburban areas where they can be more most profitable. So it's smart. It's a smart move by Walmart, as the company already has thousands of sprawling parking lots across the country. Converting them to a drive-in just needs the screen, projector, and the short-range broadcast equipment to deliver the sound to every vehicle. There's no details on what Walmart plans to show at its drive-ins, although the company has created a website that sets early August for their openings. So when I read this, I'm like... This is such a smart move on their part to change their parking lots into makeshift drive-ins because Walmart parking lots are huge. And this kind of 
allows other companies to do the same thing to generate revenue for maybe lost revenue for the past couple of months or for the foreseeable future. This is such a smart move on their behalf. Like it's crazy to think that you might have to go to Walmart to watch a movie, but super, super smart. The only thing is how do they get the rights? They could buy the rights to movies. They're fucking Walmart. They're like one of the richest companies in the oh world. God. Walmart, Walmart plus coming soon. Oh, can no. you, can you imagine the characters that this will bring to their, uh, to their drive-ins? Because we already know the characters of Walmart, right? So imagine the men the drive-in. <laughs> I think this is gonna. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this if this is official or not, but like in terms of uh, where it's playing, I'm gonna assume only in the United States. Is is that the? Uh, As of right now, yes, uh, it's only in the U.S. Yeah, and, and and on this show before many times, whenever we've described uh, a movie that not being so good looking. We usually classify it as this looks like a Walmart bargain bin kind of film. So this isn't like this doesn't make me go, oh man, I really can't wait to watch a movie in a makeshift drive-in theater. Uh, it like this is, I don't know what problems they're trying to solve here, but it's it's definitely not the ones that I was looking for. Uh, it's <laughs> it's interesting because I'm just like, okay, they'll turn their parking lots. So is this? I I'm just trying to think like. Can they even charge for this? Technically, I'm like, if it's a par- it's a parking lot. Like anybody who's going to Walmart could, like Walmart closes pretty late. A lot of them are 24 seven in the states. So, like, can you just park and watch a movie? Well, are they going to be playing new release movies or whatever movies or just old movies? I know they said that there's more details to come. I think it's cool that they're doing this because obviously, you know, we don't have a lot of drive-in theaters anymore. But um, I think just for me, it's not my preferred way to watch movies. Uh, especially if they're if they're movies that have already been out, then I'm like, oh, I'll just watch that at home. Or usually, I only go to the theaters for movies if it's like an anniversary screening or a, a like a major re-release, or if it's playing in IMAX again. But I'm just curious to see how they do this, and I'm curious how the Walmart employees are going to be like. Do now Walmart employees like? Are they going to be the ones who are like, oh, I'm a, I'm now zoned to be outside at a drive-in tonight instead of inside the electronic section? I'm like, mm-hmm. I just, just like little, little things like that. But I'm just, I'm just curious to see what this looks like. But like a drive-in, you just drive in. You, you know, you buy your ticket online. You reserve your numbers, parking uh, spot, and you just park in there. Like, is that how? Is that not, how drive-ins are now? It's it should. That's not a complicated thing. It's just like no. you have the space to do it, and you have like the the technology to do it, right? Because you need you need a lot of like you need a lot of space for drive-in theaters. Like mm-hmm. you you can't park close. Like the the screen needs to be really high and really far away. But I don't think like at least here in our local drive-in theater. Um, again, I haven't been in a few years, but like I don't think we they it's not reserved seating. It's just you go and you find a spot, you find a parking spot, right. and that's it. Right? It, it It'd be interesting if it's reserved spots. So it should we'll be reserved spots. Like. Why isn't there a reserve spot? Um, but like, this is just like, let's innovate for them to sustain until every, like till things change. Right. Like this is what right. Cineplex should have been doing instead of complaining. And then like trying to sue the company that was about to buy them for the same value of their company. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like you innovate and maybe you sustain for the next couple of months till there is, yeah. you know, you get better. 
Right. In I think in um I think in Cineplex's like <clears throat> defense there though is that they already had a platform to watch movies at home and the whole thing with quarantine was for people to stay home. And it's only kind of now that we're seeing drive-ins really taking off more. So I get them not converting right away. Also, I'm just trying to think like movie theater parking lots aren't all that big either compared to, I guess, Walmart parking lots. I don't know. I guess, well, especially because no, like, like you, there's a, I'm saying, yeah, do you, it, you, but you work with it. You, yeah. You, you find it out. Yeah. Interesting. Like, to, to think about, you're going to, you know, you already have to limit the seating in a theater now. So how many cars can you fit in a, in a, a section of a parking lot? Because theater parking lots, depending on the theater, they could be big, they could be small, they could be stupid, like, you know. <laughs> they could be like, big, they could be small, well, or they could be stupid. They could be really stupid, like the ones where you have to, like, park and then you got to walk all the way across, like, seven, ten stores to just get into the theater. We all know what theater that is. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. They're just innovating, which is it's interesting because – it's Walmart and you know, all they do is sell stuff. They sell product. They don't make movies and they could actually buy a lot of these rights. I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan would sell his, his movie to Walmart to premiere his, uh, his tenant. Don't you think he would want it? Yeah. A hundred percent. If he, if he wants to no, show man. On, on Fortnite, you know how many people go to Walmart, dude? Yeah, but he's showing old movies in Fortnite. Yeah. He's not showing he also Tenet. showed a trailer there. So he's, he's yeah, but it's a trailer like though. It's not, it's not a major movie release though. That's the thing. I'm telling you the ne- tenant is premiering at Walmart. Okay, man. Okay. Shay, what do you think? You think tenant will premiere at Walmart? Um, you know what, man? Honestly, I think uh, my uh, my comment to everything this year is going to be anything can happen. That's going to be my, my my statement for this year. Like, if 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 you had told me last year that there would be a trailer premiere for a Nolan film in Fortnite, I would have spit in your face and laughed really hard. <laughs> well, the spittle would oh, be that's... from laughing really hard. That's why I was going to say, man, that's disgusting. Well, yeah, but that's because because releasing a trailer on Fortnite is also disgusting. But uh, here we oh are. Oh my god! Um, but uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I don't think obviously you would do a Walmart release because that just sounds pretty awful. But at the same time, I, I, anything can happen this year. If Kanye West can run for president of the United States, anything can happen. This anything. Year. Let's move on to some more headlines. These are some huge headlines that we're going to go through quickly. Clone High reboot coming to MTV from Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Bill Lawrence. Um, I never watched Clone High. Maybe I'll throw it to you guys. What can you tell me about the reboot? If I, I loved Phil Lord. Yeah, I, I loved um, Clone High as a kid. I used to watch it on. Uh, what do we have here? Cartoon Network? No, no, no. We have Teletoon. Teletoon. Was it Teletoon? Teletoon yeah, here. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. So I used to watch it on Teletoon a lot. And I mean. As a kid, obviously, I didn't know who Phil Lord and Chris Miller were, but growing up, knowing that they were, you know, the creators of the show is is awesome. So to see the show coming back, um, it was very ahead of its time back then. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it is now. And I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, no, it's great to see. And, you know, there were news earlier this week, too, like Beavis and Butthead getting new episodes. Oh, really? So people were just like, oh, what other MTV shows, Wink Wink, Clone High? And then they got announced. So it's nice to see that they're doing that. And I'm curious to see what it's going to be and or if it's going to pick up where it left off or is it going to go 
bring a more modern touch to it. Who knows? But I'm they, excited to see more. Yeah, they definitely had a bit of a cult following with that show. Definitely. Yeah. If you're looking for an extreme Frosty the Snowman, Jason Momoa to voice Frosty the Snowman in a live action pick for Warner Brothers. So, yeah, man, this looks interesting. Jason Momoa. Is this, th- this going to be like the Michael Keaton Frost type of movie where, you know, Michael Keaton, as if you guys remember Frost, was it Frost? Jack Frost. Frost. Jack Frost, where yeah. he was a human and then morphed into a f- snowman and then he melted in the summer and then, but was still alive. Jason Momoa to play Frosty the fucking snowman. What do you guys think? That's actually the working title for the film too, Frosty the fucking snowman. Um, And I I think Warner Bros. is going to, you know, think think about it and be like, okay, you know what? We can't have that in the title. Um, I'm not surprised. Jason Momoa has a very distinctive voice and he's got a very like, you know, manly voice. I just don't think anyone cares or needs a Frosty the snowman movie right now. Like we we don't, it's, let's move past these remakes. Like the ones that we've seen 150 million times. Maybe they'll do something really unique with it. I don't know. I just until it comes out, I don't really care. Like it just it sure. Why not? My man. <laughs> okay. Can you right. see him with guns? He has two like you know, AK forty sevens. No, I man, he know. has like just he just has giant daggers or something. I don't even see Jason Momoa with guns. Most of the characters he plays are like either with like swords or sword or a staff. I haven't watched. Jason Momoa, the yeah. man with the gun. You missed oh. <laughs> it was a documentary, I think. <laughs> yeah, I missed that one. Um, yeah, man, that's interesting. Good for Momoa. Cape um, Blanchett. Cape Blanchett's Lucille Ball biopic among films getting a $40 million California tax credit. So this is great because um, a Lucille Ball biopic is coming to theaters soon and is going to be played by wonderful and amazing character actor actress Kate Blanchett. So I, I actually found this article or this new sort new story on on deadline. I'm like, man, Kate Blanchett would play a perfect Lucille Ball because she's just a perfect actress. She's like the one of the greatest actresses out there. And she's such great at turning different characters and making them come to life. I'm like, damn, she's going to win an Academy Award for this, for sure. Oh, yeah. Feels like that. And also, Lucille Ball, as well, um, was such an important Hollywood figure. You know, she's the reason why, like, Star Trek went to series. Like, she saved it from not being not happening and she was like one of the, at the beginning was one of the first actors to really kind of start have their own production company and have their own production mm-hmm. banner and really change the way Hollywood works. So uh, she's a pioneer in the industry and I'm excited to see Kate play her in a film. I did not know that she saved Star Trek. It's an interesting fact. Yeah. Now, you know, let's move on to some trailers. 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 <laughs> so we have four new trailers that came out this week. The first one from David Ayer, the tax collector. <laughs> oh, so, man. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, this is um, directed by David Ayer. Uh, same gentleman who directed uh, End of Watch and Suicide Squad. He also wrote Training Day. 
Training yeah, Day, same writer of Training Day. Wrote, uh, directed uh, Fury as well with Brad oh, Pitt. Yeah. That's a good movie. I like Fury. Yeah, it is. Starring Shia LaBeouf, which is great to see Shia LaBeouf um, in a new movie. Um, the Tax Collector is a crime lord who finds... Uh, a tax collector for a crime lord finds a family's safety compromised when his boss's old rival shows up in L.A. and upends his business. So typical David Ayer type of storyline, East Central or L.A. or South Central L.A. East part of L.A. Yeah, South Central um, L.A. South Central L.A. A lot of uh, gritty drug, a lot of like gangs, tattoos, and kind of coolness with shades. It kind of, the, the poster reminded me of a Sicario type of it looked like it was you know, trying to go for Mexicana, that. Mexicana, old. It's got, it's got that like Chicano culture kind of like vibe, you yeah. know, like of. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Is David Ayer Mexican or is he just a white guy? He really loves that culture and that style. It, it, this it, when I first saw the trailer, and if you had told me this is not a David Ayer film, I'm like, oh, this is someone trying to make a a training day, but today, and I really like a low budget version of it. There was so much happening in this trailer. It was so messy. It just kind of felt like it was going everywhere. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to watch this. Yeah. It's like, interesting seeing um, Shia LaBeouf also do like, is he supposed to, is he trying to do like a, a Mexican accent in this movie? Is he supposed to be Mexican in this movie? I don't know. Uh, so I was I like, is this, is, is this offensive? Is this, is this, is this wrong? Why are you doing this Shia? Cause he's literally just like, like going for it, like full throttle. I was just like, Oh, I know. Okay. Some people, okay. Some people, uh, tweeted to David Ayer about that. They're like, Hey, is uh, can you clear this up for us? Is Shia LaBeouf playing a Mexican character or a Latino character? And David Ayer was like, you know, like I've been very fascinated by the, the Chicano culture. And, and as a white man who grew up in this area, like, I was like, Oh, okay. So wait, he is just a white guy pretending to be, not Mexican or, but like to have that culture, like almost like yeah. just culture baiting itself. Like, but I don't know. Like Eminem yeah. in a sense where, you know, he is not black, but he does talk like he's from an urban type of um, place. Right. So it well, could Eminem, be, like, maybe these are things we're not aware of. Maybe if you did grow up in yeah. a, a, a heavily Mexican area, you might yeah. have a certain yeah. dialect or slang that comes For sure. from it. Yeah, it's same with like with us there. with like yeah, and the same with us like here in Toronto. It's like yeah, we have the Toronto man talk that you mm-hmm. know that it's easy to slip into, especially when you're in a group of your friends and everyone's talking like that. It's like oh, I never knew that I I would talk like this, but like I think it's easy to slip into that, especially when I, you're surrounded do it all the time. with a group of friends like that, right? Yeah, so My I'm guy. interested to see you know <laughs> I'm interested to see how this turns out. Um, this is coming out this year in. August, so we won't have to wait long to see it. No, is it a VOD? Depending, uh, uh, not that I'm seeing right now. I think it's still a theater release, but it's probably going to be one of those things that in the next couple of weeks we'll see that. Oh yeah, it's coming to VOD or it's coming to Walmart drive-ins. Who knows? But it definitely the poster definitely has the Sicario uh, vibes, Vibe. especially with like the skull and the guns and all that. We also got a new trailer for Charlize Theron's The Old Guard, which is premiering on Netflix July 10th. 
Mm-hmm. So a covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret just as an unexpected new member is discovered. I saw the first trailer. I didn't see this trailer. I thought it was an interesting uh, storyline because there are mercenaries from all, we'll say, years or points of, of, of years or that are hundreds and thousands of years old. So, and they can't die and they, they just kind of form a squad to become almost like hitmen. Um, but yeah, it's a, I like Charlize Theron. I think she's great. And when she does action films, what did you guys think of the old guard trailer? Uh, interested. It's, it's still not one of those things that like, it's like really on my radar right now, but I'm like, sure. I'll, let's, let's watch it when it comes out. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much same thing as uh, as Daniel there. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I didn't ask for this, or nor do I really want it. But at this point, um, give me whatever you got. You never know; it might be great, right? Yeah, exactly. It uh, could true. be good. For it sure. could be good. We got a trailer for Seth Rogen's An American Pickle, which is mm-hmm. based on an immigrant worker at a pickle factory is accidentally preserved for 100 years and wakes up. A modern day Brooklyn. Yeah. It's Seth Rogen finally playing uh, Captain America. Yeah. (laughs) I saw this trailer. You know what? It looks really good. Like it's shot really well. Um, But nah. I don't know. Well, you're also not a Seth Rogen fan. So, I mean, I guess it, it wouldn't appeal to you then. I guess. But like, you can't say to me it's a great. Like this isn't it. You you can't say I oh you know the old guard is a bad movie and American Pickle is gonna be great. Like no, why? Fucking no. guy. Like, <laughs> why not? Though? Yeah. And, and pickle juice. Get out of here. Yeah, but that's so that's, what, that's, man. Like, <laughs> man with this, this is this is the guy who made a movie about you know our food fucking each other. So I mean, a, a movie about a man who's engrossed in a pickle brine and comes back a hundred years later isn't too far fetched for for these minds i mean these guys have always been like super outside of the box thinking when it comes to comedy and um i'd say like nine times out of ten they hit it and even when they have their misses the the misses are still somewhat memorable in ways like i look back at movies like the night before it isn't you know talked about that much but people will still be like yeah yeah, i saw it i thought it was funny so as as odd as american pickle looks it's it's just it's on brand for these guys and it, it made me laugh the trailer and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll definitely watch this when this comes out because it'll probably be really stupid. Maybe I'll get high and I'll watch it. I don't know. Yeah. Shay laughs at like some weird things, man. Well, you haven't laughed since nineteen ninety three, so I don't know if that's that, true. You know. <laughs> he laughed he laughed when I was born and that was it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm I like I like Seth Rogen. I'm I'm excited for this. I'm it's coming to HBO Max. Uh, so probably crave here in I Canada. Hope so. I hope so. Um, I hope I hope it's going to be good. Like I I enjoyed. It. I like that he's playing the dual roles, and um, it's just such a ridiculous concept that I'm like, <laughs> I hope that they could make it work because when I'm, the last Seth Rogen movie that I watched, um, uh, it was a long gosh, shot. It was long shot, and, and I really day, right? and I loved long shot. So mm. yeah, I love long shot, and I hope that uh, I hope this delivers too. But the long shot didn't deliver. It got like it didn't do really well. It was like uh, it, box it got good bad. reviews though. Yeah, box office wise, it didn't do well. But you know, comedies, 
Yeah, it's not forgettable because we're talking about it now, though. <laughs> well, no, I, like, I, I remember it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I thought what I, I, I thought love it about good. Seth Rogen. I just don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. I, I'm not saying I love Seth Rogen. I'm saying it's I like love the movie that he Trump, did. And then there's people what? who love Seth Rogen. No, man. No, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't put this on this podcast. Oh, my God. Don't, don't, don't you dare. Dude, don't yeah. disrespect don't our names on this me. show. Don't you put that on me. We have, um, and we also have a new trailer for Superman, Man of Tomorrow. So this is a, a DC direct cartoon. Um, I didn't see the trailer. What can you tell me about the storyline or for those who had seen the trailer? What is this uh, storytelling about Superman? Shay, did you see this trailer? I did not. The art style kind of reminds me of Archer. Because it's very like kind of like hard lines and it just visually it looks a little bit like Archer. But uh, basically, this is like a younger Superman who's kind of coming into his own. Uh, Lobo is in this as well as like some other monster creature. Weren't we supposed um, to get like a Lobo live action film like years ago? Yeah. And Jay, I, th- I think Jason Momoa as well, too, was like courting the role for a little yeah. while. Then he got Aquaman. Um, Which but he's I literally, he, yeah, I prefer too, but he literally is exactly the Lobo <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it looks interesting. I mean, like I, I feel like the DC animated movies have been hit and miss for the last few years. Um, I'm hoping this one delivers cause obviously it's been a long time since we've gone up just a purely Superman, um, animated film. So I'm who's doing the voice for him. Do you know? Uh, Aaron yeah, I'll Chris. tell you right. Yeah. Darren Chris is doing this uh, voice of Superman. Uh, Zachary Quinto is doing the voice of Lex Luthor. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Hurst is doing the voice for Lobo. And Alexandra Daddario, Daddario is Lois. Voice for Lois, yes. Nice. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting cast. Again, it has a very unique art style. Like, if you guys watch the trailer, I think you'll get the Archer vibes from it as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of has, um, like, cel-shading type of feel to it. Yeah, a very cel-shading kind of look to it, but um we shall see you know we don't have to wait too long for this to come out this is supposed to come out in august as well um so i'm hoping that we get it soon and i hope with these dc animated movies like this is just prime content to put on hbo max so i'm wondering if they're ever going to transition to hbo max for them or they're going to still go the vod release routes um Mm -hmm. we'll see but i'm hoping it is good out this week we have greyhound the Tom ha- Tom Hanks written and directed no written. just just written written um, which is premiering on Apple TV Plus July tenth. Um, are you guys looking forward to this, or are you just looking forward to watching something with your eyes on the screen? The latter, yeah, the latter for sure. Um, I'd rather watch the latter. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't know what to expect from this movie. The trailer was not a well-done trailer at all in our opinions. You could go back and listen to our thoughts on that. Um, but again, it's something to watch. I have Apple TV plus I'll give it a shot t- to see um, what it's all about, but I'm not uh, holding my breath. Yeah. Like I, I'm confident by July 10th, I'll forget that this was coming out. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to what we're watching. So why don't we start off with, why don't you guys start off with your view for Hamilton? Okay, cool. I'll just give it to you guys to, to do that. I didn't watch it. Why don't you guys talk about it? 
and then we'll go through individually what we watched. Yeah. Daniel, sure. uh, do, do you want to go ahead and start off for us? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Hamilton is, uh, it was a huge moment in time of culture and uh, movements, you know, it came out in 2016. And um, we said that this was a big deal for Disney plus to get. And it is, you know, I've all I've been seeing across social media right now is people talking about Hamilton and being able to watch it and uh, finally watch it and not have to spend thousands of dollars to watch tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the production of the show is obviously incredible. I think you lose something for sure. Not watching it in person. Mm-hmm. So me watching, you know, I've heard a lot of the music before. There's this obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda brings such bangers and he's such a talented writer and mm-hmm. actor and song uh, songwriter for this for the show. Um, and there's so many there's so many songs like my shot that like still stuck in my head. Yes. But um, I think you still you lose a little bit of the magic not being there because so much of being at the theater is you know being transported and just seeing those performances live and seeing the set design around you. I think this Disney Plus show, um, pro- or I guess movie, does a great job of giving you these angles and things like that. But it's, I think it just, it may just be me. I don't know. I I think you felt the same way too, Shay. But whenever I'm watching, I guess like a live production on a TV, like you don't. It's harder for me to feel as engaged with it. Mm-hmm. Um. But I still think it's it's so well made. The music's phenomenal. Obviously, the production, the costumes, everything is top notch. Definitely watch it on Disney Plus if you're interested in musicals or if you're looking for something new to watch. But um, I I just wish that you know whenever the world starts opening up again and Hamilton comes into an area around us there because it was supposed to it was coming to Toronto as well or it wasn't it was Toronto this year. yeah it was this year um, yeah. like I'd I love to it see it live. Out. I, yeah, I think it know. literally started and then it stopped. Yeah. It was right. It was right at the cusp of it, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just looking forward to hopefully getting to watch it in person because I think you gain so much more seeing a, a presentation like that live. But um, seeing it, seeing it on on Disney Plus was great. It was nice having it um, available and having all the angles and everything like that uh, kind of thought about. But uh, yeah, I would love. I would have loved to see it live. Yeah, um, for me, it, it, pretty much the same thing as Daniel. It's uh, when you when you watch a stage play um, on, I guess in this you know filmed format, because you lose so much of the scenery sometimes, and maybe the cameras over here, and there's things happening in the background that you can't see. Unfortunately, um, it, it kind of help. It kind of takes me out of it a bit. Um, I, I, in high school, I was a, I was a musical drama geek, so. Uh, I, but the thing is, it never translated for me uh, for movies and and outside of that. So I was very hesitant to kind of watch this because everyone hyped the hell out of Hamilton, and uh, I, I I will say I was I was pleasantly surprised. The music was definitely getting stuck in my head, and um, I was enjoying what I was seeing. Sometimes, I, and I, and I guess because obviously we're watching a live version of it, I would miss some lines or some dialogue because it would. It's to a live audience, but luckily I had my subtitles on, so I was able to kind of um, keep up with it. Um, and it was, it was, I don't know why, it was kind of weird at the beginning seeing the Disney logo kind of pop up, because I was like, oh, this is a, a movie movie they're doing. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, like the Disney Studios yeah. logo popped up, not even Disney Plus. It was not like the full-on panning across the castle type thing. Right, so it, it, it seemed like maybe the intention was a theater release, you know? Um, well, it was. It was supposed to come out next year, right? 
Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. You're right. It was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then um, also, it's it's very long, so just be prepared for that too. But I, I say I say definitely give it a watch. After watching it, do you guys think it would have done well in a theater? Like, do you think people? Oh, yeah. Like, do you think Easily. it would have made money? Easily. Yeah, I think so. Because again, like production. I mean, like when you when you think about just ma- it making money, like Disney bought the rights to it, so like they're just paying back the rights that they the money that they bought for the rights. Like they didn't have to deal with the, the production costs and all that stuff, right? They're just dealing with the marketing and all that stuff now. So mm-hmm. I think it would have oh, I think it would have made some really good money in theaters because um, you know people go out to the movies to watch musicals. I mean, even though Cats did not make a lot of movie money at the box office. It still got those, those nights where, you know, a bunch of people would go out and watch it. And like the theater crowd is still a, a, a big crowd of people that they would go watch it, especially if they can't, af- people can't afford to go see it in the, in a, in a traditional theater, they'll go to the movies to watch it. Yeah. Um, so plus, yeah. Plus it's a lot cheaper. I mean, like if you wanted to go watch Hamilton in theaters, you don't have to worry about scrounging for tickets or hoping it's playing nearby. You just got to go to your local multiplex and pay 10 to 20 bucks. And you can then say, yeah, I've seen Hamilton in theater. And then no one has. Yeah. It was in the theater. That's yeah, all you need to know. The theater. theater 12. Very, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. What else have you been watching, Shay? Uh, Oh me, yeah. Um, this this week, I again, I didn't, I didn't watch much, uh, and I don't know why. I mean, it, it, it it's it's post Last of Us now. I needed some time away from it, but I think because I said before that uh, after playing the Last of Us Part Two, going back to films felt a lot more difficult because nothing was satisfying me. Um, but I kind of revisited some old ones and watched a new one. So I, I watched Super Bad. Uh, just because you know, I love Seth Rogen, and uh, on par with uh, <laughs> The Last of Us in terms of storytelling, for sure. Basically, it's the same story if you think about it. Uh, and it's it just I haven't seen it in a, in a few years, so I kind of want to watch it with you know a more grown up lens, I guess. So I definitely enjoyed it and had a lot of fun. Um, watched Edge of Tomorrow because I haven't seen it probably around the time of its home release, and uh, boy, does this movie hold up! And I, and I, and I, it's, it's one of my biggest surprises of that year. I just absolutely hate the naming scheme that this film like <laughs> I love the original title of all you need is kill I thought it was really clever and cool and you know and then edge of tomorrow comes out and you're like okay kind of sounds like a punk rock band but let's see what happens and then when a home release comes out it's just called live die repeat and I'm like well that's really bad and <laughs> I then think I, there were it was also based off what was it called like a thousand ways to die or something like that like the no, original... I, I think the Japanese manga was called uh, all you need is kill I believe so many but uh but so we'll, 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 we, we can uh, we can take a look into that and i mean we know that there's a sequel you know planned and it has an awful name as well i think it's like live die repeat repeat or something like that but um yeah but it, it doesn't take away from the actual film because this movie is really cool really fun really wicked tom cruise is he's he's not like he's not playing the tom cruise that you're kind of used to he does get to that tom cruise at the end of the film but he definitely runs. Yeah, in the beginning of the film, he's very like scummy and kind of like a you don't kind of trust him. He's almost like a bad guy in a way, and then you end up rooting for the guy. So, really good movie. Emily Blunt in it is probably the most badass that you can have seen, and it kind of gave us a taste of if she actually did Black Widow, what it would have been like. 
So um, yeah, absolutely love Edge of Tomorrow. If you haven't seen it or you were hesitant to watch it because the trailers didn't do a great job, I definitely recommend watching it. It's a really good movie. Um, I watched Money Monster, directed by Jodie Foster, starring Julia Roberts and George Clooney. Uh, I, I had never seen this movie, but uh, my girlfriend kept saying, "Oh, let's just let's give it a watch," and we did. And I thought it was—I thought it was—I thought it was decent. Um, I had some issues with it in terms of the narrative storytelling and and the and the characters they kind of chose to portray certain elements, and I guess trying to humanize this terrorist kind of like character. And I and I felt they tried to do that because he was white, and um, Jodie Foster. She's she she has some good tense moments in the film, but. I don't think she's carrying the movie into the place that she kind of wants to. Uh, plus, George Clooney's character is not likable at all. And that's not George Clooney to me. He's very charismatic. So in some ways, you'll always end up kind of liking him. But in this one, he's very like, I want to punch you in the face. Um, and overall, it just it, it took too long to get to the end for me. To like to get to like what the meat and potatoes of the film were. So, but over, I, but again, like I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I thought, you know, I, I was satisfied with my time. But I, I would not say it's a, it's a watch it or anything. I'd say, if you want to stream it, you're more than welcome to. And that uh, Hamilton, of course. I was in the same boat with Money Monster when I watched it. Yeah, I just it was like, meh. I thought it would be better. Like you had Jodie yeah. Foster as your director, um, Julia Roberts, Clooney. And it just it just fell flat. I but think uh, tell you the truth, Jodie Foster hasn't really made a great film. No, yet. no. But I don't like usually like if you make a great film, you make a great film. It doesn't take you like seven films to make a great film. But yeah, she. I don't know. Sometimes it just like most of her movies always fall flat. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same for me with Money Monster. Um, it wasn't really a memorable movie for me. I remember watching it a couple years ago, like twenty sixteen. It came out in. Was it 2016? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, 2016. And yeah, it didn't really leave a lasting impression with me. I think it's just overly long. And um, I think, too, when you when you have a movie that's set in like primarily in one location, you you kind of get bored after a while. So which is especially funny, with the, it's an hour and a half movie, too, which is which is yeah, surprising. But it feels way longer. Way longer. Um, yeah, so. I, I'm I'm with you guys on that. Uh, this week, though, I watched Hell or High Water, which was one of my favorite movies of 2016. I want to yeah. say that came out now too. So, yeah, yeah, 2016. That is a great movie in 2016 that came out. That literally came out uh, at the Cannes Film Festival with Money Monster. So it's uh, funny that they came out the same day. But yeah, it's a phenomenal movie. Ben Foster, Chris Pine, and uh, Jeff Bridges. Chris Pine probably giving one of his best performances in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't really think of him as like a, a, a like an act actor actor in terms. Not that he's he's not ever bad, but like, no. this I think he just brings such an amazing performance to it. Um, Jeff Bridges as well too. So I definitely recommend watching this movie. I think sometimes um, Chris yeah. Pine is like like a typecasted as oh he's the pretty boy, but in but in Hell or High Water he he's he's a pretty boy, but he's also very like rough and gruff too. Yeah, so it's a it's a phenomenal movie. It's about two brothers who are basically robbing banks, but it's not your typical kind of heist movie. Um, I don't want to get into too much spoilers for it, but I would definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by uh, Taylor Sheridan, who did um, Sicario Sorry. and Wind River 
and a bunch of movies that we love. So definitely check it out. Uh, I checked out Eurovision finally, which is on Netflix. This is Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell's movie about the world of European pop music. Uh, I didn't finish it. I'm about halfway through it. Um, it's interesting so far. It's it's. I feel like it's two and a half hours long. It's a very long movie. Um, some 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 interesting music that kind of gets stuck in your head as well too. But uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, the only option I could really give it is stream it. So if you're if you're a fan of Will Ferrell, give it a shot. It's a very different type of movie that he's done, but um, it has a lot of Will Ferrell isms in it as well too. And just at least for the music and the production of the music is interesting. Uh, I mentioned Hamilton already, and then like Shay, I was on uh, a George Clooney kick this week, and I decided to put on Up in the Air, which is one of my favorite. Uh, George Clooney movies ever. I think it's one of his best performed movies as well, too. Easily. And it's just, I think it's just such a well-written and well-made movie. You have a great cast between George and Vera Farmiga and Anna Kendrick and Jason Bateman. Um, Great, great cast, great story, heartbreaking story. Um, But it's, it's one of my favorite movies and I definitely recommend you checking it out as well, too. Mm -hmm. Very good. I love I love up in the air. I try to watch it every couple of months if I can. It's just something about it. It's as as heartbreaking as a story can get at some points. It's still very light and uh, it's it just it feels really good to watch. And I think it was, yeah. was it Jason Reitman that directed it. Jason Reitman. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's always got a knack for these kind of films that are uh, like like Thank You for Smoking, also another great film. But yeah, he's he's great. And George Clooney is just so likable in this movie. Unlike even though, Monster. <laughs> unlike Money Monster, even though his job in this movie is literally firing people. Yeah, um, it's got some great cameos too. Like you got um, yeah. J.K. Simmons, you've got Zach Galifianakis. Yep, you got some great cast. Fun fact for the movie is that a lot of the people that they cut to that they were being fired mm-hmm. um, were actually people who were fired from jobs in real life that they thought they were filming for a documentary. Mm-hmm. And they just put that footage from the quote unquote documentary into the movie um, because they really wanted people's real reactions. And there's moments where you just really feel heartbroken for these people who just lost their job. And, you know, there's a line that always sticks out where the guy's kind of talking about how uh, he's, he's saying how like, you know, getting fired, they say is like um, having a, like a loved one pass away. But why does it feel like, I'm the one who passed away and everyone else at my job is my family. And I was like, Oh man, like mm. it, it, there's some really like heavy moments in this movie, but it's surprisingly funny and light and upbeat. Um, but it's not afraid to go to darker places. And I really recommend you watching it. It's a great one. I was going to say before that that movie always has a, the, the opening sequence for that movie always like connects to me somehow because he goes through all the people that he's about to fire and it's just like man this is this is tough this is a tough film all right yeah. what about you anthony what have you been watching this week so i've been watching a lot i know i mentioned in the beginning of the 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 show i i went on like a watching spree and i you know broke the mold of not watching anything so i started off with um perry mason the tv series the hbo the Robert Downey Jr. produced one? Uh, sure. I didn't even know it was Robert Downey produced. But now that you say it, it kind of makes sense because it kind of has a Robert Downey feel to it. But what a great TV show. It's already at two episodes um, available on Crave. 
my introduction to Perry Mason was always this white dude who was a um, a lawyer and he would just, you know, do all these different cases. And this was during the 90s when he would have, there was a Perry Mason TV show. But this version of Perry Mason is completely different than what I've experienced. Uh, more gritty, um, very crime fiction, detective fiction. Um, it's dark. It has everything you want in a story. Great characters, violence, sex, drugs, um, and Perry Mason himself. So uh, <laughs> it stars uh, Matthew Reyes as Perry Mason and John Lithgow's in it, as well as Tatiana Maslany. Um, really, really, really good show. And for me, anything that's like crime, um, crime fiction or detective fiction set in the 30s in Los Angeles, you got me. So when I put yeah. it on for the first time, I'm like, whoa, this this is they're swearing. This is not like what I'm used to in a Perry Mason TV show. Also, he doesn't play a lawyer in this one. He plays um like a private eye. So very, very, very good. I encourage you guys to watch it if you have the chance to. If you love like LA Confidential or if you've played um uh, what's the game? LA Noir? Yeah. LA Noir, yep. So it's literally that. You know, the Black Dahlia type of, you know, 30s Hollywood, L.A. Great, great, great show. Um, still watching Snowpiercer, which is on Netflix. I put on Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, because I've never seen it before. Um, I recently just watched the the re-envision of Hellboy. And so I thought, okay, well, I might as well watch 2, because, you know, that one wasn't as good as I thought it would be. And 2 was great. Um Another I enjoyed two. I enjoyed two. It was, it wasn't as good as one, but it had you know it had its its uh, points. Yeah, especially the 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 critter scenes where they're being eaten up uh, in the in the burned out um, hotel room or burned out house room. Yeah, it was really really cool. Um, I put on Insomnia again. This is another film I haven't seen before. Uh, this is directed by Christopher Nolan, one of his first films. I think this is his actual second film, starring Al Pacino and um, Robert Williams. Williams. And uh, what's her name? Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank. Swank. Man, I was. Rob, uh, Al Pacino did such a great performance in terms of not being able to sleep because the premise of this story is two detectives go to Alaska to solve a. Um, solve a murder and some things happen and these two detectives they're they go to alaska and they realize like it doesn't it doesn't go dark until like it never goes dark it just it's sun it, at that t- point of time in in the calendar it's always bright outside so al pacino has a hard time falling asleep and you can really see al pacino like he is stressed out he's dealing with a murder that he can't solve um, personal problems with his partner. Um, and it just shows. And Robin Williams, again, a great, great, great performance. This was, I think the cinematography was done by uh, Wally Feister. Yeah, Wally Feister. Feister. Yeah. yeah. Really, really well done cinematography. Um, I encourage you guys to watch it if you have never watched Insomnia. It is probably the most non-Christopher Nolan film 
because there is no twist or turns like you usually get in his films. And it is more of like the simplest version of all his movies that I've ever watched because it's very straight to the point. There is parts of it which are very, hmm, that's an interesting um, point where there's an interesting uh, part of the story where you wonder how is he going to get out of this or how is this going to work? But there is no like twists and turns that you normally would see out of a Christopher Nolan film. Have you guys ever watched Insomnia? Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Um, there's I, a lot of. Am I right in terms of saying it's like the, the least for like the the one movie that doesn't feel like a Christopher Nolan movie? Uh, I think like yeah, other than like the Batman movies that were more straightforward, like Insomnia didn't have a lot of like kind of non-linear storytelling in that aspect. Um, but it definitely has those Nolan Nolanisms in it, um, kind of just like having the cutaways of like the blood-soaked clothes and things like that. Um, also, again, like having it being in Alaska with the backdrop of not being of, like not being able to sleep, but also him not being able to sleep because of like the crimes that he's committed at a police op, like as a, as a detective and kind of mm-hmm. planting evidence and all that kind of stuff. It's such a great backdrop for this story. And, you know, Robin Williams is terrifying in this movie. It's a great movie. It's, it's often uh, a forgotten about Nolan movie, but it's uh, it was his first big studio movie. And, you know, he really delivered. And that is the film that literally that Warner brothers saw. Then they're like, yeah, do you want to do Batman? And and the rest is history. It's interesting because, you know, it's his first big studio film and he landed Al Pacino and Robin Williams and Hilary Swank. Like those are, those are some big actors, especially at that time when they were all really, really doing well. So, I mean, just shows the power of Nolan, I guess, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's usually the forgotten Nolan film. Um, And you know what? It's also not my most watched Nolan film, but uh Every once in a while, I think about it. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll watch that again. Mm-hmm. I put on um, the Lethal Weapon series. So Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and 4, because I recently watched one. I love Lethal Weapon. I think I think the chemistry between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, Danny Glover? Is, is just, it's fantastic. It's like you watch it and you're like, man, they were so good together. And Mel Gibson could put Tom Cruise's running up on the board because Mel Gibson can run. I don't know if you've ever watched, like when you watch Lethal Weapon and you really look at Mel Gibson running, because we always compare, like no one runs as good as Tom Cruise, but Mm -hmm. Mel Gibson in all these films, I think instead of, other than Lethal Weapon 4, because he didn't really run in that one, he was, he, he did really great running scenes. Um, but yeah, man, Lethal Weapon is such a great movie franchise. I I hope they make another one, Lethal Weapon Five. I know there were talks in January that you know there is a story there to to build on, but you know we don't know now that we're in this pandemic what it looks like. But man, the chemistry between those two, there'll be nothing. There's I can't find chemistry like that in a movie franchise that lasts that long with two great actors. I don't know. What, do, mm. what are your takes on Lethal Weapon? Um, unless I'm just like really passionate about Lethal Weapon. You're definitely very passionate about Lethal Weapon. It's not a series that actually that I've, um, I've properly watched. I, I've, I've mm-hmm. given the first one a, um, I think a half a watch. And uh, again, nothing against it. I just, I, I, maybe it was the wrong time for me to watch it. I've only heard good things. I do own them. So definitely the incentive is there to watch them. 
but um, I haven't given it the love or the respect that it deserves yet. The only lethal weapon that I've seen right now is um, on oh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because I think those ones are <laughs> phenomenal. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, Lethal Weapons are really fun movies. Um, great action, great chemistry. Um, just really funny as well, too. And uh, it makes sense because, like, Shane Black was involved in uh, in writing them as well, too. And, yeah. and creating the characters. So there's a lot of great dark humor there as well, too. And um, it's no coincidence that they've had such a long-lasting impression in, I guess, movies. Because, like, when you think of buddy cop movies, you always kind of go back to those type of movies. Right. Um, I put on War of the Worlds, starring Tom Cruise. Um, I haven't seen this in a long time, and I was up for some some aliens? interesting stories and aliens and explosions. So I put on War of the Worlds, which is it's funny because it's you know at the end the aliens couldn't sustain our our bacteria. That's why they died, right? It's just, you know, the, the world that we're living in right now, it's like they, those aliens are not coming to our, our planet. <laughs> mm. um, but yes, great, like Spielberg did such a great job of throwing you into this world where, you know, here's Tom Cruise, you know, ordinary dude, working man, nah, doesn't have a great relationship with his family, is now put in a predicament where he has to take care of his family when he really didn't do that well in the beginning when the world was an ending. He's dealing with a son who wants to join the army. He's dealing with his daughter who's like freaking out because she doesn't know what the hell is happening and the world's like literally um, on its end. And Tom Cruise did such a great role of just playing this guy who's like doing everything he can possibly do to shield them and protect them and get them to their mother and just be the father and then grow into the father that he should have been, I guess, in the beginning of this film. But it was, I think one of Tom Cruise's best performance because it was so opposite of what he doesn't play the hero. He doesn't solve the the issue. He's just trying to survive. And it's like, man, he would do well in a, um, like some sort of last of us type of scenario or zombie scenario where, you know, he has to kind of, survive the the apocalypse of sorts mm. so that was that i put on the thing because i've never watched the thing um man another interesting film um you might have seen um sequences from the thing which um it's a horror movie based on an alien that um arrives on earth and starts to clone its humans and takes over their like their identity, and you don't know who is, uh, you know who is real and who is not, um, and it creates like this, holy shit! Like I can't be in this this compound with people I don't know, and it creates paranoia and the 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 what was it? What is it called? The the costume, not the costume, the practical effects that they used for the thing, fantastic. We're talking about a film that came out in 1982, directed by John Carpenter. Um, really, really well done. Kurt Russell is in it. T.K. Carter's in it. Uh, Keith David is also in it. It plays a young iconic character. poster as well, too. Like the poster iconic of it is, poster, yeah. like, is such an iconic one. But if you just YouTube the thing, like movie sequences, you'll see like 
the 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 visual effects that they used all like puppeteering and and uh, what's the uh, I forgot they they use a certain term for it like animatronics animatronics yeah that they used in 1982 really really well done yeah and, I think uh, I think it's um, Sam Winston Studio that did it uh, who did the it looks like something Sam Winston would do like I wouldn't yeah. be I don't I don't know who particular but. Yeah, it was a great horror film. Really did because it just creates this paranoia because this alien again, he takes over your body and he lives inside you and you know, he can infest you by just one small little particle very similar to you know, COVID-19. Oh like gosh. One little, one little thing can can then grow in your body and then you are not in control anymore. Yeah, so yeah, Stan Winston did do the he was part of the thing. Um, and that was one of the first movies that he did that really kind of got him on the map of Hollywood to then do Terminator, Batman, Jurassic Park, Iron Man, all those movies. So yeah, uh, if you guys don't know who Stan Winston is, look him up because he has done so much work for Hollywood. I think, I think we talked about him uh, last week's episode, I believe. Did we? we? We we did. We did mention Stan Winston not too long ago, maybe at least an episode or two ago. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Um, I put on, so after I watched The Thing, I put A Time a time to Kill, starring uh, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Sandra Bullock. And then I watched uh, Mississippi Burning, which stars- It's interesting uh, you- uh, It's interesting you watch that. <laughs> I know. So here's the thing. I, I wanted to watch, a, like, I wanted to watch uh, A Time to Kill because- we were talking about it recently, or I think we, we were keep quoting it. <laughs> and I put in a gift that said, you know, yes, it deserved to die because they, and I hope they burn in hell. And I'm like, man, I, that was such a great movie. And that there's, even though it's a really fucking sad story and it's, it's like literally awful. There is a part of me that, that that's a movie that I remember watching in the nineties and I needed to watch it again. And it's just fitting that it's happening now with all the things that are yeah. black lives matter and all that. Uh, but another really well done film. And I also, it's a, it's a movie done by um, Joel Schumacher. Yeah. Just completely opposite of what you think Joel Schumacher would direct. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about it last week when we were, um, when we were, you know, talking about how he passed away, we were talking about a time to kill. Yeah. Um, and then it's funny. I was I was literally last week. I was, it was last week. I think I told you, Shay. I'm like, yeah, Shay, you should check out the movie Mississippi Burning. Like it used to scare me growing up watching yeah. that movie. Yeah, these um, are all these are all been brought up in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Mississippi Burning is another phenomenal movie. You know, Willem Dafoe, a very young Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman. Yeah. It's a great film. And I'm you know Mississippi Burning came out in 1988, nominated for quite a bit of the Academy Awards. Didn't win that much. Um, but again, it's it's you know telling the story of the South and how racist racism lives there, and you know growing up and how this like they what Mississippi Burning did really well is they would have like these scenes in the film where they're talking to local folks, and you know the racism is so blatant. It's like no, this is normal for us. This is how it works down here, and that's what a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the the underlining factor was like, you don't live in Mississippi. You don't know what it's like to be in Mississippi. This is how it is. Everyone around us, it's like their own, it's their own country. This is how we do deal with, 
racist racism and how we do with bigotry and it was um, mm. an interesting um, two, those two movies are very interesting as it brings you into the mindset of what it looks like to be in the South like that during those times. Because uh, I think Mississippi Burning takes place in the 60s, but a time to kill takes place in the 90s, like modern time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I kind of watched. So I encourage good you to stuff. watch all those films that I've watched. It sounds good, man. Cool. If you don't want to be cool, you watch Hamilton. Like these. Wow. Oh, uh, you mean like the rest of the planet did <laughs> this week? Yeah. Do you want to be a follower or do you want to be. What? A shepherd. <laughs> Okay. Let's get into trivia. <laughs> trivia time. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so which cowboy? <laughs> no, this one is a really good one. This was based on the news that we acquired that we talked about today. Before the acquisition of Will Smith's Emancipation by Apple, who held the record for the largest film festival deal ever? Was it A? Birth of a Nation. B. Little Miss Sunshine. C. Palm Spring. Or D. Mudbound. Uh, I'm going to go with Palm Springs. I'm going to go with Palm Springs as well. You guys are correct. Palm Springs was the biggest um, film festival deal ever until... um, Emancipation was bought by Apple. It was purchased for $17,500,069 at the Sundance Film Festival back in January. Yeah, and they literally only beat it by $0.69. They only beat it by $0.69. Birth of a Nation was um, the leader before that, which which was bought for $17,500,000. And it says a lot because... Man, Palm Springs was seventeen million five hundred thousand sixty nine cents, and Emancipation was one hundred twenty million. It's like holy shit! How many times is that over the cost of you know buying a film at the film festival? So mm-hmm. great job, guys! Did you guys find that was that an easy question or a hard question? It was easy because we've spoken about it so much the last few yeah. weeks. Yeah, I did, but I would actually like research it. Mudbound really came close. Yeah, I remember about Ben. Sixteen or fifteen million, but yeah, I didn't think you read a lot about it in the sense that you tried to figure out who was there beforehand. Um, <laughs> but that has been the movie podcast. Again, you can catch a brand new episode every single week, and if you want to be part of the show and ask us some questions or give us some suggestions or just correct our mistakes, head over to thistimewith.com/talk. That was this time with the movie podcast and we'll see you next